pray together. Our Father and our God, uh, it is true that Christ has changed the world, has changed our lives, has changed them forever. Thank you for your amazing love, your kindness, that you would love us enough to do that, to bring salvation to us, to bring freedom from bondage and the fears that beset us, that you would love us so much that you would bring peace and joy and love to our hearts. So our Father, we pray this morning as we consider all over again the, the details of the, the Christmas story. I pray, Father, you give us a fresh awareness of how much you love us. And Father, that we can release our lives into your care, knowing you care for us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. So what... do you fear most? When are you most afraid? Perhaps uh, if you're like me, it's when you don't know what's happening or you're concerned about the unknown or what's coming that you can't see. Those things are scary. Those things cause us to be afraid. When some facet of my life is getting away from me, from outside of my control, that's when I get afraid. I think most of us value predictability, we value security, we value reliability, and we value control. And we have this mistaken idea that we can control our lives, that we can affect control. And so we spend uh, much of our lives trying to avoid our vulnerabilities or minimize them or somehow mask them. We try to bolster The effects of our vulnerabilities, we hide or deny our brokenness, try to be people who appear to be entirely capable of of all things. We work very hard at running the show of our lives, don't we? I, I know my favorite picks in life are whatever's easiest, whatever's least painful, whatever will hopefully elicit minimal stress or what is well within the range of my capabilities, which doesn't involve much. But certainly that's what we really look for in life. And um, in truth, we are in a collision course with two realities, and they are this. God's vision is bigger than your personal abilities. Do you know that? I suppose you do, but are you willing to admit that? Are you willing to live that? And secondly, his intentions for you cannot be met by your present character. And so if I'm reading that correctly, that means that God is engaging himself in change in our lives. In truth, God wants us to come to the place where we will acknowledge our vulnerabilities. Admit them where we'll become conscious of our brokenness. For it is in being conscious in our brokenness that we can ever have a hunger for wholeness. It is simply a fact that Christ came to bring us wholeness and fullness. 
And so there's a message that comes out from Christmas. It's really the central message. It's the central mission, really, of Christmas, and that is to remove fear. In every single vignette of the Christmas story, there is a proclamation that comes from heaven, and that is this, do not be afraid. Stop being afraid. Fear not. Over and over again, throughout the scriptures, but certainly the central message of Christmas, is stop being afraid. It's a fear not mission of God. Stop being afraid of facing your vulnerabilities, of facing your brokenness, of facing your inabilities. Specifically, stop being afraid of being out of control. Now, I don't mean go berserk and all of that. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about stopping the fear of feeling like we need to have complete control of our lives, ourselves. Based on our own strength. In fact, the message of Christmas is do not be afraid to switch dependencies. And the transition is really scary from me to God. Depending on how resistant we are, it can also be very painful. So I want to talk to you this morning about four different characters. Four different vignettes with the same message. Do not be afraid. Stop being afraid. These are fear not messages. I think you'll find yourself somewhere in at least one of these messages because they represent everybody who has ever had anything to do with God. Would you turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1? Each character has an intersection with their own vulnerability and the fear not message of God. They overlap. You'll hear similarities, you'll hear repetition. And we shouldn't be surprised about that. They're not disconnected. They are the connection of one central message that has come from heaven to us at Christmas. Do not be afraid anymore. Well, Mary has just showed Joseph the pregnancy test. And we pick up the text at verse 18 of Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. One of my favorite strategies growing up as a kid, particularly in the classroom, was to never make eye contact with my teacher. Any of you do that? I was like, always kept it low, just lay low, stay under the radar. I think it had something to do with having a last name with the letter B. Because you know how teachers, they love to go in alphabetical order. Okay, we're going to do speeches and we're going to start at A and soon we'll be at B. So, you know, whenever there was an opportunity for just to pick somebody, I'd be like, whoa, I'm keeping my eyes down. Because I want to be invisible. I don't want to be noticed. I want to just lay low under the radar. I want to be quiet. I want minimal demands in my life. Please. To avoid complexity and discomfort as much as possible or any challenge that might stretch me beyond my comfort zone. 
I think Joseph is like that too. I think all he wanted was to marry a nice girl and raise a family and stay under the Roman radar and and, and make nice hutches and wardrobes. I I think that was his deal. I I think he wanted a really neatly gift-wrapped, tied-in-a-bow kind of life, and I think he'd figured it all out. See, if I marry a nice, quiet girl from a good moral background, I should be able to control where things go. She certainly won't turn up pregnant, but she does. And so Joseph does what Joseph is. He's careful, he's quiet, he likes to be invisible, and he fixes things. That's what he does. That's who he is. Notice what he does here in verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, expose her to public disgrace, keep this quiet, keep this away, keep this under the radar, don't lift up your eyes and look at anybody, had in mind to divorce her quietly. From his perspective, rather than spend the rest of his life afraid that they will be discovered, he's just going to bury this problem. The thing is, um, his fear of the assignment that was being given to him was founded on faulty assumptions. And his fear set in when his vision for his life and God's vision for his life collided. I don't know if you noticed when I was reading the text, but the angel addresses him as Joseph, son of David. Joseph, you're not... You're not invisible. You're not someone who can necessarily stay under the radar. You come from a a very, very famous lineage. You come from a a background of people who have made a difference in life. Joseph, the carpenter gig is just a front for the real purpose I have for your life. There's nothing wrong with making hutches and wardrobes and picnic tables. That's nice. But I want you to be the male role model of the Savior of the world. That's my assignment for you, Joseph. I want you to to raise the Son of God. I, I want you to be a man known as doing things God's way when the crowd is jeering you to go in an easier direction. I want you to know what it is to live with pain and hardship, but trust in me and rely on me. I want you to be recommissioned. And so that message goes out to all of us, dads and moms who are raising families, children of God, to make a difference. Can I just uh, suggest to you that you can't lay low your whole life and become a man of God too? Ladies, you can't lay low and become a woman of God too, fearing visibility Bearing even the sniff of something challenging or demanding? What's your mission? I didn't ask you what your job was. Although the two may be the same. I'm just asking you, what is your mission? Guys, to lead your wife away from herself? To lead your children toward the living God? To step up and take leadership and be visible as a follower of Jesus Christ, wherever God has placed you, the workplace. Ladies, 
to raise your children? To elevate the name of Christ by how you live in the workplace or in the home or in the marketplace? Joseph, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. Why? Because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Joseph, this assignment is from God. Don't be afraid to accept your assignment, Joseph. God is in this. Beloved men, women of God here, don't be afraid to take the assignment, the mission that God has for you, regardless of how hard it looks, regardless of the fact that it's out of your comfort zone, that it might bring you into visibility, that people might notice you. There's a second group of people represented in the Christmas story. They're represented as people who are disappointed with God. There are a lot of people like that. Year after year, they've been praying about something or counting on something, believing for something. and For some reason, heaven seems to be silent. People like Zachariah and Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1. They become uh, used to life with disappointment. Comfortable in a state of perpetual victim. Life isn't fair, it fits well, it's worn like a proud costume. In Luke chapter 1 verse 5, it tells us that in the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abiah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. These are good people, godly people, passed down from generations of godly people. Both of them were upright in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. They deserved better from God, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. And here's our message. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many people, you know, know the sting of entering into a life of unanswered prayer. Zachariah and Elizabeth have been praying for years and years that they might have a child. Was it too much to ask for a normal life? Was it too much for them to expect to have a, had a baby 30 years ago like all of their peers, like everybody else around them, like normal other priests? They could go on carrying forth their religious rituals and receive their cost of living allowance increase each year and, and live some sort of normal life, casting no ripples. Is there something wrong with that? Is there something wrong with living a life that's normal and on autopilot? 
The symptoms, unfortunately, of his disappointment became really obvious when he no longer seemed to have the faith to believe that prayer could be answered. In verse 18, Zechariah asks the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Listen, I have been praying and praying and praying for years and nothing has changed. Why should I believe something would change now? In fact, I'm not even sure I believe God answers prayer anymore. I've been praying so long for that lost loved one. I've been praying so long for a change to happen in my circumstances. I've been praying so long for the pain that I am experiencing every day to be lifted from my life. I'm not really sure God even bothers to answer prayer anymore. And so he joined the ranks of the disappointed. Get in line. So why didn't God grant Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer request decades ago? Larry Crabb, I think, may have landed upon one of the great insights in the possibilities here. In his book called Shattered Dreams, which is actually an exposition of the life of Naomi, he writes this, Happy people rarely look for joy. Their central concern is to keep what they have. They haven't been freed to pursue a greater dream. In his severe mercy, God takes away the good to create an appetite for the better. He, he talks about the fact that sometimes God is unresponsive or seems to be unresponsive in our lives. And, and he writes this, God's restraint has a purpose. Only in the agony of his absence, both in the absence of blessings and in the felt absence of his presence, will we relax our determined grasp of our empty selves enough to appreciate his purposes? He goes on to say this. Satan's masterpiece is not the prostitute or the bum. It is the self-sufficient person who has made life comfortable, who is adjusting well to the world and likes living here, who longs only to be a little better and a little better off than he already is. We want life to be easier. God wants it to be better. And so sometimes he goes unresponsive. It's silent and quiet. In his severe mercy, he's making something better. For, for Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were going to experience a more impressive work of God in their lives. Imagine having a child long after anybody ever thought they could. They were going to learn a more God-reliant life, a life entered into by prayer. Rather than living on the basis of the material and the physical autopilot, they were going to come to terms with a specific purpose for their lives that was entirely time sensitive. Because having ha if they had had a child 30 years before, it was before, long before Christ was to be born. And their assignment was to raise the forerunner prophet of Christ. Their assignment was to raise the greatest prophet of all time. So sometimes... God is unresponsive, doesn't seem to be answering your prayer. 
It's because he's got a time-sensitive assignment for you. He's training you to not live on autopilot, to not settle for life in autopilot. But to dream for something better. To long for something God-sized. To long to have your life supernatural-sized. When your life is suddenly God-sized, the angel says, God is all over this. And now it was up to Elizabeth and Zechariah to overcome the panic of getting what they prayed for. (laughs) A little baby in their old age who would actually shake the world around him, cause lots of complexity for their lives. Be careful what you pray for. God may just give it to you. Well, the story continues. We meet up with another character who's afraid. In verse 26, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. What's her response? Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, here's our message, our central message. Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You'll be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. This is impossible, since I'm a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Faith quickly degrades in our lives and into fear when an impossible idea meets up against a total inability. The setting of the first Christmas evening. Mary was being asked to do something she was unable to do and that couldn't be done. It's one thing to be asked to do something that's way beyond your ability. It's another thing to be asked to do something that's impossible. She was unable to have a child because she didn't have a man. But a virgin birth, that's unheard of. That's never been done. That's impossible. And so the normal response when you are asked to do something that you are unable to do and that is in fact impossible is fear. My life is out of control. But listen to me. God wants to take you away from what you are able to do and towards what you can't do so that you will finally believe that nothing is impossible with God. Mary was not unlike Joseph or unlike you or me. 
She liked the comfort zone like everybody else. She enjoyed anonymity. She wore humble well. Predictability and safe. Out of the crosshairs of public opinion. She liked it that way. But there was nothing that really showed God off in her life. You see, we can run around saying, oh, I want, I want to honor the Lord. I want to glorify God in my life. But I want to be under the radar. I want to be invisible. I don't want anybody to see me. I don't want anything to happen. That's not going to work that way. In order for God to show himself off, he takes people like you and me who are unable and makes us able. And people look at our lives and say, what's the explanation for that? Well, there is no other explanation but God. You see, the, the angel said to Mary, Mary, this is not going to be about you having to, to generate up this ability. It's not going to be about you having to overcome the impossibility. Notice what the angel says. Uh, Mary, um, uh, the, the, the Holy Spirit, verse 35, will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Mary... God's presence is going to be yours and God's power is going to be yours. When God asks us to do something that we're unable to do, that's impossible for us to do, the quick reminder is, right, you can't. But the presence of God and the power of God will enable you to. When your inabilities and impossibilities collide, God is about this. If you're going to be a player in God's story, as Mary was, the day-to-day script of your life is going to be all about the presence and power of God. Our world is filled with people who are saying, I can't get saved. My history is too bad. My background is too entrenched. God's church is filled with people who say, I can't forgive. I can't trust God with my finances. I can't yield to my husband. I can't love my enemies. I can't even love my wife. I can't, I can't, I can't. How will this be? God says it'll be because the presence of God and the power of God will enable you to do what you can't do in your own strength. God never wired us to live our lives in our own strength. If you won't, God won't. But if you will, he can. There's one last group of people that I want to remind you of this morning. I think they represent the most common pathological fear of all. The fear of God himself. And I don't mean the good fear of God. I mean the fear that God will actually show up in your life. I mean the fear of, of God as God. In Luke chapter 2, verse 8, we catch up with some shepherds. There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were, I love the 
King James, sore afraid. You ever been sore afraid? I don't even know what that is. It sounds bad, though. sounds really afraid. I don't like being sore, and I don't like being afraid. And combine the two, that's got to be bad. Sore afraid. And here's our message. But the angel bringing a message from heaven says to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ, Messiah, the Lord. Now, um, as I said to you, most of us are really afraid of God. Of specifically having our lives belong to another. That part of God. We kind of like being on the spiritual sidelines of life. The idea of God seems more appealing at times or safer than the reality of him. There's a certain romance of having God trapped in my Bible. I I can show him off like a collectible. But he's trapped at a certain distance. And I feel free when he's in that Bible and at that distance to... Lay low in life. I I can be like a low-life shepherd. Minimal demands, kicking around with a few sheep. Stay on the sidelines. I can show them off from a distance. I can talk about his exploits, right? Through the lives of other people, other great people. Listen to what God has done in other lives. I got all kinds of second-hand testimonies to share with you. He's real, and if he's in my Bible, he leaves me alone. I can visit with them every now and then like a low-maintenance relative and then I can leave. That's kind of where I want to keep God. That's where the shepherds want him to be. We're afraid if God really shows up in our lives that he'll be too demanding or he'll be too critical or he'll want too many changes. He'll he'll want to do a thorough house cleaning of my life. He'll want to get rid of all those habits that I've been hoarding and defaulting to my old hang-ups. I'm worried that he might force me to work out my marriage or repair some relationships or reprioritize my life. Why else were the shepherds terrified? They had stuff in their lives. And the glory of God shows up. He's no longer just a cute story of some ancient stories of the past. He suddenly showed up in their lives. You know why we're afraid? We're afraid that God's going to bring bad news into our life. We're afraid that um, he taking control of our lives is going to make us miserable. That's what we're afraid of. That's why the angel had to say to the shepherds, guys, I'm not bringing you bad news. The thing coming from heaven is about good news for your life. Uh, about, about great joy and, and, and peace and a Messiah and a Savior and a Lord.
God who wants to take you from the sidelines to the very center of his attention and joy. I thought all along that God wanted to make my life miserable. I I thought all along that that I had to control each day because I could package it the way it would be comfortable for me and I could keep it within the range of my own abilities and, and, and I, could, uh, I could know what was coming and it would be very predictable and safe. That's what I was thinking. If God came into my life, he'd just mess it all up. No, no, you got it all wrong. I've come to bring good news to your life. So stop being afraid of God. E.C. Haskell, who writes little meditations, wrote this. An ordinary night with ordinary sheep and ordinary shepherds. And were it not for a God who loves to hook an extra on the front of ordinary The night would have gone unnoticed. The sheep would have been forgotten. And the shepherds would have slept the night away. But God. This could be the time for you to hook an extra to the ordinary of your life. Stop being afraid. Stop thinking you have to control your life. That's why you're worried and anxious about things. You were never wired to do that. You weren't created to take care of your own life. That's what God the Savior is all about. I bring you good news of great joy. I wonder if the shepherds thought, well, he's just going to change our job now. Now we can't be shepherds. No, God didn't come into their life to change their jobs. They stayed on as shepherd. He just changed the way they did their jobs. Read verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just the way they'd been told. Now their job had meaning. It had punch. Now their job was bigger than themselves. The the drudgery of hanging out in the fields with a bunch of sheep had now turned into praising and rejoicing and honoring a great God. No, he didn't change their jobs. He just changed the way they did their jobs. Don't be afraid of God being in charge of your life. God is not against you. God is for you. That's the message of Christmas. That's why Christ came. I hope you've grown tired of being afraid. Because the message of Christmas is stop it. Stop being afraid. Your king has come. Who is this king? He's the Lord of glory. So take on the assignments that he gives to you. He's in it. Get ready for him to supernatural size your life. He doesn't want you to live in your own strength. Be prepared for his vision to be bigger than your abilities. And his intentions are good news change in your life. Not to make your life miserable. So embrace it. Don't worry about it. Be anxious. Don't be afraid. Rejoice. Praise him. Welcome him. That's the response to Christmas. Our Father, 
um, I thank you and praise you that you are such an amazing God, such a powerful God. Lord, help us, all of us, to not be satisfied for the sidelines and to try and be invisible and stay under the radar and try to dabble with control in our lives. Help us not to sleep away another Christmas. The sheep would have been forgotten and the shepherds would have slept the night away. But God, thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're out there this morning and you're saying, you know, you've been talking about me. I'm afraid of God. I've been afraid to to turn my life over to God that he might have control of my life. Or maybe you are a follower of Jesus Christ saying, yeah, I'm living my life with worry and anxiety. I'm trying to dabble with control. There's some things that are not happening. And uh, I just want release from that fear. I want to embrace the fear not message of Christmas. Would you... um, if you're in that situation, would you join with one of our pastors here at the front of the church after the service? And we'd just love to pray with you and, and talk to you about what God wants to do in your life. God wants to bring good news to your life. He wants to make your life a good news life. Don't be afraid of him. He's the one who created the universe. He's the one who does a great job of controlling things. Turn it over to him. You weren't made to worry and be anxious about these things. This is for God. Give it over to him. Would you come and join us at the front here and we'll pray with you and send you out of here like the shepherds went back to the fields, rejoicing and praising and honoring God in your life. Father, thank you so much for the Christmas message of don't be afraid. What a a blessing that is. Our world is filled with fear. People are afraid of everything. Lord, let us not be afraid of you. Let us not hold on so tightly to our predictability and our control because, first of all, we have nothing that we can predict and we have nothing that we can control. Let us turn it over to you. You want to make our lives a good news story. For your honor and glory's sake, Father. Thank you in Jesus' name.